You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 53 of Arsenal Pass. So I'm giggling a little bit on this intro because I get to introduce calling champion Hayden Dale. Ask him how he's doing, and we're going to see if he can actually formulate a sentence this time. Third time, Lucky. I'm good. It's always Brendan. Initially in the intro, I said, I'm waiting for the Fab 2.0 announcement. But since we're re-recording this intro, we've had the Fab 2.0 announcement. And uh, what are we talking about in today's pod? <laughs> well, it's actually the Fab 2.0 announcement, believe it or not. So big news for Flesh and Blood, and we're going to be digging in to pretty much everything that's mentioned, going through the article A to Z, and giving our thoughts. Um, but yeah, that's mostly what today's podcast is about. We do have a nice command and cookout section coming as well. A little shrimp on the Barbie, if you say. Um, and then, yeah, at the end, we're going to wrap it up, sort of our thoughts on Flesh and Blood. Looking forward, right? You know, are we feeling good about, you know, are we feeling good about the game or bad about the game, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to some sort of, I don't know philosophical points right talking about how to run a business expanding <laughs> things like that this is weird we have an amazing we have an amazing review by the way we have the funniest re- you like- better stay till the end because it's the funniest review i think i've ever read and it was it was ac- oh my god spot on <laughs> this is so odd because we've we've actually we've recorded the pod and we're re-recording the intro because we today we were actually going to do a pod on future of limited formats in flesh and blood because i think that's something that i'm really interested in talking about as we found out that there's going to be one supplemental set and just one standalone set this year. Uh, but as we went on to record, the Fab 2.0 announcement dropped. It was way bigger than we thought. And we ended up talking about that for a big section of the news. And then, this, like Brennan said, talk about just flesh and blood in general. Um, so that's ended up what the pod is, is. And it's so weird that we're doing this intro post-recording the pod. It's such an odd thing to have happen. Maybe we'll do this more in the future. Actually, I don't really like it. It feels weird. So let's not do it. But anyway, <laughs> Brennan. Anyway, Hayden, let's talk about your chill, relaxed week on the beach in flesh and blood yeah i mean the week in flesh and blood has been pretty pretty small for me uh no events this week been doing a bit of testing with what i can got a really cool little package from lss actually this week of some of these uh these sleeves i don't know if people i can actually show up to the camera because i've got them sitting right here but these um these dragon shield sleeves so this is not we're not paid to say this or anything just want to point that out i just got we got these in the mail uh i haven't opened any yet have you opened any yet brendan yeah, I'm just surprised that you didn't have a hundred dollar bill in your package. Or oh, oh they left it out. <laughs> yeah, I have to message. I have to message them about that and say where's my payment for the plug. No, 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 not at all. No, I, I mean, I think there's a sweet, there's a cool. I, when they announced that they were doing this partnership with Dragon Shield, obviously we've got these sleeves, the, the promotional uh, limited edition sleeves for ProQuest season and the calling. I'm interested to see how those things go. But um, yeah, getting my hands on them for the first time. I mean, feel like good quality sleeves, like what you expect the Dragon Shield. Uh, I like the the printed sleeves in general. Anyway, they seem to ding a little bit less in the corner and, and have mm-hmm. less issues which is quite nice so i like them for play testing and for things like that but i prefer like plain colored sleeves for events i don't know why just a interesting psychological thing um but, the opposite actually oh me. really i don't like the plain colors yeah me. so it's so for me like i just have this um i guess i like kind of like finger my cards with my thumb at some point um so i will like get like these little marks on my sleeves and they're yeah. just not no like you can't see them with the art sleeves but with uh like any kind of light pure like pure single colored sleeve um yeah i just end up having to replace <laughs> pretty often interesting yeah okay maybe i'm a bit gentle 
gently with my shuffle. But uh, I, yeah, I like the, I really like the jewel, the Dragon Shield jewel mats at the moment. Funny, I didn't think we we're going to talk about uh, sleeves on a podcast here, but I really like the jewel mat sleeves. I like the, the black backing, how they look really cool with the border, uh, and then just like, the, the colors you can get on the back. I like either the the, the blue, I don't know what it's called, or just like the turquoise kind of color. Well, on that note, I also, I my favorite is actually, I, I go between um, my favorite sleeve. I feel like it changes all the time. But right now, my favorite is actually, and this is going to be fighting words for Hayden, so relax. It's going to be the uh, the mint katanas. I know they push to the top. I know, I know. But I like the way they feel. Um, and I, I do double sleeve them, and I never find, you know, them pushing further, further, further. High enough to the top that it's an issue. Gosh, that was a tough sentence for me, but I do like them. Those are those are my sleeves of choice right now. Yeah, I don't I don't like the katanas. I don't like the way that they, yeah, kind of push to the top. I think they have a nice shuffle shuffle action though. Um, I could be careful, right? What if Ultra Pro wanna or uh, Ultimate Guard wanna sponsor us or something? Careful about talking smack about these sleeves, but I don't I don't also don't like the colors slightly different on the back to the front of the sleeve that. Something about that puts me off. So, like, I had the orange mm. ones. It's like a different orange. It's like a reddy orange and yeah, like an yeah. orange. I'm like, oh, just little things, you know? I, I can't do it. So, I'm, uh, I mean, I was an old, old school KMC player's choice. Those are my favorites, but I mean, they're, they're long. Well, the, the quality of those they used to be are no longer available. So, it's just, uh, it's just jewel mats for me and, and then testing sleeves, probably some of the art sleeves because I, I thought they last longer. Anyway, Brendan, that's my week in flesh and blood. It's been all about sleeves. I'm, uh, I'm heading home to New Zealand for a week tomorrow so i'm like oh, packing right. up my stuff uh and just got back from i was down in melbourne which is not far from sydney watching the formula one for the weekend which was great um had a good time there and uh yeah so not not as much flesh and blood this week although a little bit quite the lifestyle just formula one on the casual weekend um so for me in flesh and blood uh yeah i guess it was pretty chill i went to play a battle hardened at scg con dallas um just went to hang out play and end up doing decently well it was blitz <clears throat> i was playing viscerai uh, i ended up losing in the semifinals, which i actually had no idea that there was any prizing outside of first i thought it was still the old prizing uh which i know i think i just continually surprise hayden and how uninformed i am on just general flesh and blood things because sometimes it just doesn't matter <laughs> uh but yes i was informed like right at the time i was like yeah if you win this you get another pti i was like what <laughs> crazy but then i ended up losing and i think i won some money and i got a really cool play mat the vex and quillhand play mat so all in all good weekend um good weekend turned a better weekend because michael fang actually showed up from new jersey calling champion at what was it it's the calling dallas uh no it's the calling cincinnati right yep wins calling cincinnati his flight got canceled so I was able to host him on Sunday night through Monday evening. And we just got to hang out, play some games. Um, and yeah, he's a great guy. Yep, awesome stuff. Um, and that event, it's funny, I, I said to you, no, it's not funny. You know, it's not funny. At all. But I said Brendan's back-to-back uh, -back on the trot, losing winnings for uh, PTIs. <laughs> so, yes, I, I actually am, yeah. I thought yeah. about that too. Um, yeah, I mean, should... That's 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 a narrative. I also have the narrative of just never really winning anything of note. Oh, I was kidding right there. Hey, PT's uh, coming up. PT's coming up. Yeah, save. I'm just banking it up. Um, all right, Hayden. All right, Hayden. So with that, let's go ahead and head into the news. We've got a big announcement that actually just hit. We, you and I, had to pause the podcast to actually go uh, read up on it, and that's going to be Fab 2.0. So 
Hayden, in classic fashion, I'll let you run us to the points. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are. Yeah, we just had a little little break. I mean, little, actually. This is a big announcement that to implement. So I think we just stopped for about 15, 20 minutes to, to digest this and go through it. And now we're going to give you kind of, I guess, our reactions and, and thoughts to Fab 2.0. So what is Fab 2.0? Well, James White has released a statement on fabtg.com and basically said that uh, Fab 2.0 is a, a collection of, I guess, announcements uh, around the future of the game, but not the gameplay system itself. It's more around, you know, uh, releasing of product, of formats, of the way that Flesh and Blood is going to, I guess, work from a, a larger perspective, not from the actual game itself. So, um, as he says, collection of changes to support the better delivery of our mission in the coming years. Uh, the first thing here, Brendan, is retiring first edition. So I think this isn't really coming as a massive surprise. James had already alluded to this in the interview he did with Flake on the Insta Speed podcast. But he said that, you know, they are aware of the issues with first edition and Unlimited. Um, and in this announcement, James does say, you know, with the, the growing need for access to cards on day one, you're seeing a massive skew to first edition over Unlimited and it just doesn't really fit the system anymore. So that is what's happening. I think that kind of makes sense, right? You You were expecting this as well? Yeah, um, I'm a little out of, I mean, I'm not totally in touch with it, right? Because, I mean, I just buy product, I buy cards, and um, I haven't felt the pain of this sort of first edition unlimited problem, right? I would usually sort of buy um, the initial product, and then unlimited would be there for draft and sealed and things like that. Uh, I do want to preface a lot of our takes on Fab 2.0 by saying that, you know, our opinions are going to be based from the player perspective, and that is what Hayden and I are. So how this affects, you know, potentially you as a listener, as a distributor, a store, things like that, that like is a bit the, out of the scope. Yeah, a collector it is about out of the scope, and it will not be what we're focusing on. So there is a possibility that what we say is slightly short-sighted in the sense that, you know, we're not thinking about how it affects those shareholders as well. Um, just want to preface that because, of course, there's some things that are good for players that are just terrible for other people. You know? I, d- I don't think people are coming to us for the, the take of a collector. I think people are listening to the pod for a take of, of players. At least I hope so. And if not, in your 53 episodes in, I have a bit of a rude awakening for you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, yeah, retirement of first edition. What's the plan moving forward? Well, James White says that starting with Uprising, which is the set that we're going to see on June 24th, uh, which is the standalone set, uh, that there is no differentiation between first edition and unlimited, just Uprising. But the change is going to be, and uh, I really like this change, Brendan. I said as soon as I read it, I was like, I like this change. I, I probably need more time to think about it. I'm sure people have some opinions as to why this maybe isn't a good change, or maybe people think this is a fantastic change. But we're going to see cold foils and rainbow foils in the same packs, boxes. You can open cold foils. You can open rainbow foils in these packs. Uh, the rarity is going to change. So cold foil drops are going to become rarer than they have in the past uh, and rainbow foil legendaries and fables are going to so sorry legendary and fable cold foils and uprising are around three times rarer than they have been historically james white says uh, but this is offset by rainbow foil versions that are slightly more frequent than in the past i really like this change and i know we're just reading facts at the moment but just i'm going to move on to some opinion one of the issues i think with fish and blood right has been access to staples right and and especially mm-hmm. when it comes to legendaries like these these rainbow foil editions and i think that's become a bit easier as we've gone on but people are being disincentivized to open packs etc because of the prices of boxes versus the the pull rates but when you've got the ability to pull these cold foils and stuff still but then also all people wanting to play the game for players right for four players being able to find these rainbow foil versions that are now at a slightly higher pull rate i think that's great for the game there's a collector piece in there and i think there's a player piece in there and i Again, like you say, Brennan, that's from a player's perspective, but I think this seems like a really good change. Yeah, there's a sort of 
something that James always says throughout this uh, throughout this part of the article where he says moments, kind of like moments of wow, right? Like moments of excitement mm-hmm. and joy. Um, and I think this allows for that, right? Increasing the rarity a little bit, but we still have access to alternate editions of cards, whether it's the Rainbow Foil or the Cold Foil, which is the rare version. And of course, the alternate arts as well, which we they do kind of double down on this, give it its own rarity. We'll get to that. Um, I love that. Like, I love there to be this sort of uh, lottery factor when I open when I open a pack. It makes it exciting, right? If I'm opening a pack um, and I already have all the cards, and I'm just kind of like you know looking for something that's just kind of like a side grade, a side edition, it's whatever. Um, but I do remember when I, I opened my cold foil heart of uh, yeah heart of Fandel sitting next to James in draft. Uh, so I remember that moment, that moment of sort of wow and surprise. And I think that this might be the direction to recapture that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's awesome. I, I think it's a good change. We'll see how it pans out. Uh, while you were saying that, you were talking about the these uh, uh, alt arts and like we saw with Wildfire and um, Overrise and, and these kind of cards. You pick a card, any card like these from Everfist. These now have their own set symbol, which is this like half diamond purple triangle. Um, James mm. point, at Paints point out that he sees it as a half diamond. You know, it's like half the, the Fable symbol, um, which I think alludes to some of the rarity of these cards, which is quite interesting. But we won't dive into that too much. We want to keep pretty high level with this, Brendan, talking about Fab 2.0. Yeah. But you can go and check out the article. But yeah, basically overall, a change to the way that you have no longer have first edition. We have the set and we have pull rates for Cold Foil and Rainbow Foil within that set based on that and these old arts as well. So um, yeah, awesome stuff. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, next piece on this is Cold Foil reprint policy. Uh, not changing, basically. Just pointing out that I think uh, they will only, you know, a cold foil that appears in Uprising will only ever appear in Uprising, for instance. So that, that is, James White pointing out that this isn't changing, I think, very good for collectors, obviously, and very good for, I mean, anyone who pulls these in their packs, right? Just knows that these, these cards hold value. So good to see. All right, Brennan, here we go. And uh, past, present, and future, we've got an announcement of history packs, which is going to allow access to product uh, or cards from the first three sets. So these now out of print sets in the form of. Arcane Rising, Welcome to Wraith, and Crystal of War initially, but James has said these history packs will release uh, twice a year, and they will have cards from uh, all of these, all of these sets. So there'll be you know a history pack for history one, and history two would be, for instance, I assume next the next group of sets uh, up to Everfest. Mm-hmm. These are whiteboarded, whiteboarded yeah. cards, non foil. Yeah. So I don't think I think most people dislike whiteboarded cards. Uh, I didn't come from Magic, so I didn't experience that uh, the period of having black border cards and then white border cards and then going back to black border cards. Um, but uh, controversial take is that I do think that it is somewhat not negative to have a di- like a very distinguishable differentiating factor between sort of like the more collectible cards or the more collectible you know, packs or cards or boxes versus this uh, more widely available. Um, history packs because uh, I, I like even right now like the difference between some of my first editions and unlimiteds is almost indistinguishable like mm-hmm. even the symbol is like reversed sometimes like sometimes it's a circle sometimes it's not yeah from the original it's just, yeah yeah it's very it's very close to undistinguishable so that is like the slight good side i think right and that might piss some people off that are getting the whiteboard is like oh mine look the same as yours it's like it's fine i actually i don't really care um but i i just know that people really hate the white borders and i think it's not that bad um but let's look at the bright side you can buy these freaking yeah. generics and majestics everybody's been complaining about 
And like, that's good. More access to games, more access, uh, like you know, better, easier access to these kind of cards. I, I think it's a very positive, um, very positive thing. Yeah, I mean, my, my take is once I get past the eyesore that are these white border cards, because I do think they are this, but that's mm. whatever. <laughs> I think the fact that these are available for access for players is fantastic. I think that I'm interested to see how it goes. The pack configure, sorry, the box configuration is different. There's 36 packs, 10 cards per yep. pack in these. So there's a bit of a different configuration. Um, do we have the RRP? I'm just looking up to see. I don't know if we have the RRP yet on this. So I'd be interested to see what that looks like. Um, yeah, 36 pack boxes is interesting. So it's the Crucible pack configuration, but a 36 pack box. Interesting to see what that kind of leads to. But yeah, the other thing as well is that uh, with this announcement, uh, we have this black label announcement. So this is kind of interesting to me. I'm not really sure what I think about this yet, but initially with these history packs, there'll be a small print run of black label, which will effectively be black bordered versions of these cards. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I I don't know. That seems fine, I guess, in, in principle. We'll see how it plays out. You know, there's almost like a first edition and unlimited for these history packs now. But the really cool thing, I think, is that we're going to see uh, first prints of foreign language, so non-English language, uh, non-English language uh, printings, which is awesome. So French, yeah, German, Italian, Spanish uh, will be the first four official uh, English language prints. So hey, let me know if I'm wrong, but I believe the non-English languages are black, black labeled, and maybe they switch to white. But that the English history packs are actually is going to be uh, bl- uh, white bordered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sorry. Yes, you are right. So. History pack one in English is only printed by the looks of it in uh uh yeah in in white bordered and then history pack yeah. one is initially releasing in black label for uh, those four countries those four regions those four languages um that's happening on July first so very soon and then the history pack for English is coming on May sixth so yeah it seems like a really smart way to get some of these reprints into the hands of players right which James has continually yeah. talked about so we will see how that goes I just want. Yeah, so that's the thing is we we are giving a player's take. We're also giving a competitive competitive player's take. Card availability, I'm all for it. Like especially if you can still maintain some sort of a collector's market and you know have let people have value in these cards as they hold them and play them and you know stuff like that. But giving pe- you know other players access to these cards so it doesn't the the limited edition of those the staples doesn't impact competitive play, which it probably has to an extent. I think it's really good. I, I like I'm all for it. I want people to have. All the command and conquerors in the world, somewhat to an extent, so they just can't complain anymore because it's a ridiculous complaint. <laughs> I agree. I just want cards in players' hands. I, you know, go to armories, and it's been a it's been a thorn throughout the history of this game. Is in certain periods, just card accessibility has been so bad, like it's been tough, right? This hopefully fixes a lot of that and gives access to reprints for players, so you get rewarded for being an early adopter of these sets, right? Like. I picked up my Tales, you know, Unlimited or First Edition. I've got my nice-looking black border cards. But, hey, further down the road, I've got my Maiden to it. Really want to make sure he get the cards in his hands. But, <laughs> hey, sorry, Peter, you've got white border cards. You know what? Get the cards to play with. It's fine. So, anyway, uh, let's move on. Part two, playing the game is more about competitive play. I think this flows on from this card availability piece. Um, but there's a few things that are announced here. I'm not really going to dive into these too much. I would say go and have a look at these. These are more things that are going to happen in the future. But more storytelling, world building, character development, and integration of lore into play experience is a focus for LSS moving forward. I think that's really cool. It's good to hear. So this means investing in characters that us as players know and love. So we see the return of Dorinthia and Reinar in the classic battles as an example that James White uses. Uh, Bravo returning in Everfest. Controversially. Uh, we'll, we'll, I think we'll see a lot of these things moving forward. Uh, publishing more law books that's really cool so different i assume that means 
different lore and, and diving into the world of Wraith a lot more, which is really cool. Um, and the last one is products that offer play experience that bring fans into adventures, conflicts, and story arcs that are happening within the world of Wraith. I think that's really cool. I think that's points to UPF, uh, sorry, not UPF2, um, PVE and James does further down talk about PVE and that it is coming. Yeah, like I think we can just kind of like TDLR our thoughts on all this stuff and just say Hayden and I are very much in favor of the casual format being pushed and there being more of a focus on it because as we've spoken about, I think quite a few times throughout the past year is that the lack of development in that space has been noticeable, right? Whether it's UPF or it's, you know, more of like a role play aspect where you can dig more into the lore. We had the lore book initially and we all loved it. They actually talked so about cool. it in the article. Yeah, everybody loves it. Everybody wants it. So just like, we just want more of that. Obviously, Rhino and Dorinthia is kind of a step, a step in that direction. Um, but Hayden and I, we're all for this, right? We're re- pretty satisfied with competitive flesh and blood at this point. I think that it has exceeded our expectations if you would have talked to us back in 2019. Um, so it's time to, you know, kind of develop the casual side as well. And I think that this is, you know, this all looks really good to me <laughs> on the competitive side, you know, it did look good, but maybe they should <clears throat> not punt ban restricted list, but, uh, you know, it's a conversation for another time. Let's talk about common. Let's talk about commoner hating. Cause this actually looks cool. I don't know if it's going to be a tournament supported format, but they do give the official rules on commoner, um, a format that I haven't got, I haven't got to try it yet, but I would like to play um i've tried it yeah it's 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 good i'm happy for it i think it's another thing that alex needs to balance but they need these like you just said they need these formats for all levels of play for grassroots play for in-store play for kitchen table play for casual play and i think this is an important piece they also do say that pve is like going to be um the what does he say a flagship social play product like that is i'm so glad that we're seeing that be put in focal uh, you know as a focus for lss because these kind of things are so important like the depth of lore in this game is something they've clearly put a lot of effort into now take the next step put that into pve put that into these things and have access to formats like commoner as well for people who love the lore and they start to transition into the game probably a better casual format than blitzes to be honest right potentially i mean i'm just gonna put that out there um so yeah this next part is reformatting casual play formats as well so yeah commoners now uh an official format it's great. There's official rules there. It's very similar. Forty card deck, eleven interesting slots. It's basically, blitz without, you know, without rares and mystics and legendaries and fables. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for it. Right, they have official rules now. They even give uh, round timers here. Um, like, I think it's good. Why not? It's a store officially. Playing, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. But in regards to PvE, I don't personally care. I've never liked PvE, and I know people are going to be really pissed when I say that. I don't know why. I just personally don't like it, but I'm happy that they're doing it. Maybe they're finally expanding on it. They first had it back in the Calling Auckland, and uh, I think it was actually... God, was that actually in the end of 2019 or early 2020? It was early, 20, was early 2020, and it was, uh, it was the, the beat the up the car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is a cool yeah. thing. Yeah, no, I think it's... I mean, personally, same. Not, not really my thing, but um, I think it's really important to have, and that Fish and Blood has this big side of that that was unexplored in the non-competitive play space, which is like beautiful art, beautiful lore, amazing stuff happening in the world of Wraith. Like give that a home and give players who want to experience this PvE uh, way to do it. So it's coming. It's coming apparently. Part three <clears throat> called Hello Elo and Recognizing Excellence. So uh, changes to the Elo system is now going to introduce K factors, which basically means that there's different, um, you know, multi multiplier factors for these events so proquest road to national is now the lowest multiplier of of um elo so you know 
less is gained and less is lost in those events and then all the way up to world championships which is uh, effectively what's that eight times the value of a pro quest so makes sense good to see a differentiation interesting to see that they're introducing elo for events under national championships are calling so battle hardened and road to nationals and pro quest now offer you know elo opportunities which james in this article says an opportunity for communities to have more of these events and the elo boards be more reflective of a up-to-date i guess location yeah. of best players in the world is it good is it not i don't know i yet. don't know it could it could be either um there is a question so well there's actually something i want to point out it says going forward elo ratings will apply to and like what hayden just said so does that mean that the battle hardened i played last weekend if it was now this upcoming weekend would have been rated i don't know uh, they don't really give a date they say going forward as well as what was the default k value <laughs> before that's a little bit of information that'd be nice to know because we've got a k factor of 64k at the world championship and then a k factor of 8k uh, by the way if people don't know this is like a multiplicative variable that you know applies when you play against another player you have your elo versus theirs and this affects how much you lose or gain um on that so i, I wonder what the default variable was and in regards to these lower tier events road to nationals and ProQuest. i don't know we'll see it, it, it could be good but it also could be annoying right um who knows? It's so hard to tell at this point. Yeah, I think uh, it seems seems positive. I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. Uh, I mean, at least it's not XP. I mean, like we're coming from the worst. Like we're coming from the bottom of the barrel. So I really don't feel like we can go downhill from XP qualifying. Um, so it's a plus for me for now. But I could just, I just have no idea which way this is going to go. Right? Like if it's going to be like, yeah, whatever, um, or it's cool. It's like good for us. Or it's just like a net negative because now we have to feel like we have, you know, now we feel like we have to grind these things and we don't really want to. We're already locked for the event, but we want to, you know, just spike the ELO. Who knows? I literally don't. I just would have liked to, I, what I would have liked out of this is a bit more of an announcement around what ELO means because the only thing we get out of this is this will then enable ELO ratings to be used as a pathway to Pro Tour and World Championships. In support of this, we're considering implementing an activity requirement to remain on the ELO leaderboard, which is fine. The last bit's good, but. We've had ELO since the inception of competitive play and yet nothing has happened with it. So my own, probably my only criticism of this article so far is can we get some more understanding of what ELO actually means? Why, you know, I understand that it's a future thing, but when, when, like, when are we using this? When should we care about it? <laughs> when should we be thinking about, well, maybe I want to go to this event because um, I'm like eight ELO off maybe being in the top 50 and that might mean something. Like, yeah. where does this come into play? So I would like yeah. some more. So lacking some clarity, but also not nearly as bad as it was in the past. Okay. I remember I went to the Calling Vegas, and I made day two, but I couldn't top eight because of the ridiculous round structure. And then I decided to not play day two and instead play the ProQuest because my ELO was quite high. And this is back when there was one leaderboard. Um, and it was high because I had done well in a limited event. Mm. And then when I got home from Vegas, they announced that they split the leaderboards and then retroactively applied it. So it was just like so bad for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm just losing a bunch of ELO. Um, and this funny. But so, yeah, so at least they said going forward, um, which is good, instead of just like kind of retroactively adding this stuff. And maybe, you know, some people took some fun decks to a Battle Harden or a Pro Quest and they just get dunked on ELO because of that. So I'm happy about that. That was good thinking. But I would love to know what the heck ELO is going to be used for and how it'll be used. I, do, I mean, I played Livia this uh, one of these ProQuests this season. I mean, if there's Elo on, on the line, I'm definitely never doing that again. Do you know what I mean? So, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how it plays out at these lower level events. Is it good? Is it bad? Did you sure. see 
players who are near the top trying to now not just farm gold foils but elo or is that actually not how that's going to work out and they risk losing elo and don't want to play yeah i'm interested to see how it works out critical question actually are you allowed in flesh and blood to have multiple gem accounts no no definitely not okay strictly not okay i mean i i I don't know that for a fact but almost certainly no (laughs) Well, it seems like there's, uh, I'm just trying to think if there'd be a benefit before now, right? Because like now you could just have like your other account where you go play fun events on and like I can go play a pro quest and not put my, you know, 1700 constructed ELO on the line against a field that's probably all 1500 or mostly. Yeah, no, definitely not. I mean, I I think it would be good. Like if we could do that, I think it would be good because there might be a situation where we're actually heavily advised to play these things and it it locks some players out of playing. Well, that's what they need to work out. That's what they need, but I, yeah, using fake accounts and faux accounts definitely. Fake. No, no, it's just a second account, not a fake account. It's just like you, you just have an additional account, not fake. I, like if it's against the rules, it's against the rules, right? I yeah. just don't know if you can have two gem accounts and like, oh, I'm just signing up with my gem account with this number for this tournament instead sure, of. Sure. Can I yeah. can I have two licenses? So the one where I I use when I want to speed through town to get to a meeting or something, and then if I get demerits or fines on that, I don't have to worry about it, and then I'll just bust out my other license. Well, I think it would be more akin to if you've ever played like a video game that has a leaderboard, you'd have like an alt account. Yeah, um, which which are not like allowed you, for the most part. Most of, like, you know, most of those accounts that's stated in their rules that you cannot have multiple accounts. Sometimes. I mean, that's definitely not the case with like League of Legends, which is probably the biggest example where they give pro players extra accounts. Um, I don't yeah. know. It could be good. Like we'll it, 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 would, it would facilitate. <laughs> we'll see how it goes um i think because it's tied to yeah professional play and all that i i can't see that but anyway uh the banner restricted list there's been a change restricted list is being removed which i think for clarity you know the restricted list hasn't been used because lss say that just like cleaner for tournament play they haven't felt they've wanted to use it yet but what that's being superseded by is a uh suspended card list which is really interesting so the suspended card list is, um, if a card has been suspended, it's not legal for tournament play. And at the time it's suspended, a time frame of suspension will be indicated. So examples could be as below. Until the next scheduled ban and suspended announcement. Until 30th of June, 2022. Until hero name, insert hero name here, becomes living legend. Almost like they're saying, hey, May 2nd, we might say, until Star of the Show becomes banned, X cards are, uh, are suspended. Who knows? But anyway, we've got a suspended card list now that can be used. This feels a bit cleaner to me than a restricted list. and feels like maybe something they might actually want to utilize for moving towards this living legend sort of status of of heroes without you know using the ban and restricted or the ban and suspended now as a balance and not really impacting what they want to do with living legend down the track yeah sounds fine to me right like there are some weapons that were just straight up problems but those same weapons are probably going to be hit by a ban list anyway because they're attached to heroes that might not be turboing to living legend like the uh you know, the offenders that are using that weapon, right? Very true. Um, next part is what's a hero without their trusty and other matters of becoming a legend thing. But what this is basically is saying that there is uh, heroes. So, you know, each hero has their signature weapon tied to them. So for Bravo show, uh, Showstopper, um, that would be Anathos. For Katsu, that would be Harmonized Kadachi. For Rhino, that would be Romping Club, so on, so on. The, the weapons are effectively released with them. You can see the full list on the card, uh, the Galaxy page, I believe, or on this Fab 2.0 announcement. But basically saying that if a hero becomes Living Legend, so does their signature weapon, which is really interesting. So something to keep an eye out uh, for those formats. 
So, you know, Lixie Livewire becomes a living legend. So is Voltaire Strike Twice. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, okay. What? <laughs> Chain. Galaxy Black. <laughs> I just, like, I knew there was going to be a funny one. I could find, that's what I was looking for. I was like, which one just doesn't make any sense? So, like, it's just kind of funny where this, like, <laughs> ancillary card that's, like, not very good <laughs> just gets banned. Ira Crimson Haze, Age of Autumn. Yep. Edge of Autumn. That's funny. <laughs> uh, anyway, so in this announcement, in this part of Fab 2.0 announcement as well, James does say that, you know, Legendary and Beyond, what their kind of idea is, is that Living Legend becomes a format of its own at some point. Uh, but this would obviously take a lot of time before heroes get there. So this is something for the future. But just putting on the radar that Living Legend at some point, best of the best fighting out each against each other, the idea is it becomes a format in of itself, which is... Mm-hmm. Lastly, yep, I totally agree. seasonal programs. Uh, this is just talking about the Living Legend points. And I guess there's been a bit of concern. We've actually spoken about this. You know, as more and more events get added, more skirmishes each season, etc. Like the Living Legend points total becomes higher. Uh, they've just kind of said, they've acknowledged this and said that they see this is diminishing now. You know, the amount of extra events happening is, is less and less. It's more about where these are happening, stores that are happening, this, uh, these are happening at. Uh, so they're, they're pretty happy with the Living Legend points system as it turns out moment but we'll see if that continues um that's kind of it that's fab 2.0 brendan i i guess anything that really stands what's like what stands out to you the most from this announcement like what do you think of this announcement in its entirety well oh yeah so two different questions what stands out yeah there's two different questions sorry (laughs) um yeah like i am really interested to know that if like am am i is there a possibility I'm going to be disincentivized from playing like a battle hard in a road to nationals or a pro quest um, because of where my ELO is and like what that means. Right. Cause sometimes you just want to play those events cause they're fun. Maybe you know someone who's hosting a story, you want to support them. Um, or you just want to play against your friends. Uh, so I hope it's not exclusionary. And then I do also wonder if I can have like a second, a second gem account where it's like, you know, I only get one invite, right? There's only one. I can only have one account that's generating me whatever. Um, but I can play like fun events. I guess these are not considered fun events anymore because they, they have a K factor yellow. But, uh, also they talked a little bit about casual REL, um, in this article and clarifying that. So that's, that's good. That's interesting. Any kind of clarifying of rules. Yeah, they did. And if I, any, 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 I don't think they said anything about it, so they're going to, um, any sort of clarifying of rules and rules level enforcement, I think is really important because I do think there is a, uh, sort of dissonance uh in a lot of events where I agree yeah so really knows what's going on road to nationals <laughs> and ProQuest were both casual doesn't make any yeah. sense right so they're looking at a third level of rules enforcement that's what james says in here missed that sorry so you'd have effectively i guess have like casual maybe competitive as the new one and then professional so there's kind of in between between casual and professional which i think is much much needed for clarity around events like road to nationals because you know there's a lot of things at road to nationals that probably shouldn't you know the rules shouldn't allow for in terms of just stakes that happen and people being held to a higher standard um because of the what's on the line but it's at a casual level so yeah i'm i'd love to see a change in a third rules enforcement level announced it's it's an interesting announcement i think overall really positive i think this is a good announcement for flesh and blood i think as opposed to the announcement we saw last week it feels like a lot of time and effort has been put into craft this announcement really clear about what they're trying to say to the players feels like words are being chosen really carefully but also a lot of information is given and a lot of transparency about what the future holds for flesh and blood these announcements even you know the fact of like 
how these whiteboards are going to work how you know even out to 2024 letting you know that we're going to get the cards into hands of players etc um and you know outside of my only critique being around the elo system and just a bit more information and fleshing out that system you know we're still early on we're still before pro tour one so i can kind of get that to an extent but yeah overall i think this is uh both a you know a really good announcement for competitive players it's a really good announcement for any player at any level whether it be an aspiring competitive player whether it be grassroots player whether it be you know kitchen table player whatever it is players looking for a bit more information about the lore of this game and for pve upf things like that um i think it's good for for everyone and maybe maybe i don't know and i'd love to hear some takes on this from collectors but it seems like it's probably also pretty good for collectors as well just in terms of the fact that you don't have to guess on like the print runs of first edition boxes and like this first edition product available in these packs you know like cold foils available in these packs still yeah for sure so I'd agree with you. Overall, positive announcement, which is a breath of fresh air from the last announcement we got. I do think some of this is going to be up to execution, um, but it's just kind of a wait and see. Overall, I'm happy, right? There's nothing about this article that makes me unhappy, which is uh, more in line with normal flesh and blood announcements, but very contrary to the last announcement that we got. So all good. Step in the right direction. Yeah, I feel good after this announcement. Right, we've just talked about Fab 2.0 for half an hour. The pod wasn't meant to be about it, but a big chunk of it is, and I'm glad it is. I think it's a huge announcement. It's a big change. Well, not even a big change, but it's a big indication of where Fab is moving forward, and I think it's really important to talk about, and that's kind of our first initial reactions to it. So, rest of the news, Brendan, uh, there's a few things that are... Um, <laughs> a few things that are uh, in the news as well. Morlock Hill, this is a, uh, a piece of law that's come out around the classic battles and basically, I guess, what is happening in the world of Flesh and Blood? I, I, world of Wraith, right? Yeah, sorry, the world of Wraith. It's, um, it's about the battle, right, between Dorinthia and uh, kind of resets a bit of what's happening in the world around, I guess, that kind of monarch piece as well around Solana. So, um, you know, Solana being plunged into shadow. I'd recommend going and checking out and reading it. It's really interesting. And I think it kind of indicates that maybe we see the light in here. Um, yes. Out yeah. very soon. <laughs> yeah, I did have, I did hear that from some people um, that they're speculating on a line through Inthia, which uh, I'm now scared of the reintroduction of old heroes into class constructed. It's, it terrifies me. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I think, hopefully this is a one-off and I, I think there was, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get into it. But anyway, very interesting around Bravo Star of the Show and how they came about. But I feel good about other talented heroes being, you know, other heroes being visited as talented heroes. Crack hours this weekend, Blitz Calling. Uh, there will be live coverage apparently. I don't, I haven't seen a link to where this is going to be. Um, if I do see it, we'll tweet it out on the account and we'll post it in the comments. Um, I, I do know there is going to be coverage because I've heard that there's a couple of people doing it. I just don't know where it's going to be. Skirmish season wraps up this week. So if you've uh, got another skirmish or a last skirmish, good luck. Enjoy. Have fun. Um, the, the cosplay card at Pro Tour slash Calling New Jersey. This Taylor uh, cosplay special promo has been revealed. Looks super cool. Uh, it's not tournament legal. This has been given out to official cosplayers at the event in New Jersey. And also there's one up for grabs for the best sort of like fan, you know, public cosplay. Um, more details are up on fabtg.com of that. Brendan, we did a... Oh, sorry. Well, I was saying, finally, they kind of released it without the details. We're like, wait, how do you get this thing? Can I just dress up? But it is by invite only. Obviously, that one that's going to the community. Um, 
yeah, I think it's just a it's a way to kind of help compensate um, you know, people that are going there cosplaying because it does add a lot to the um, to the event. So mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of like promos for players, but said promos for well, obviously it's just promos for <laughs> uh, for cosplayers. So I think it's cool. I think it's good. Um, unique hero. You can't get any any anywhere else. So I think uh, be quite the collector's item. Yeah, it will be, but it's not tournament legal. So I think it's you know from from my perspective, I think that's fine. And there'll be more. Well, I don't. Th- I'm not. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad at all. Yeah. Uh, I think it's good that those, those are going to have value. With, uh... Yeah. Up on YouTube as well, we do have a. I put up another deck tech. Rhina was the second sort of of my two blitz skirmish decks that I put up. Um, so that went up the other day. Go check it out. There's also a dash one up there as well. If you are looking for a uh, a deck to pick up for these last weekends. Mm. Of- last weekend of skirmish events you i just gotta say hayden i almost had a bone to pick with you because i lost a skirmish because someone was playing your deck well uh, I, I tweeted at you remember i did but guess guess who went undefeated at the battle hardened and you know i squeaked in an eighth place guess who I had to face round one same guy same deck <laughs> and i said i said i said Ooh, if i lose this one hayden he's gonna he's not gonna hear the end of it but luckily you know, turn turn one kill, no problem. Got past it, but yeah, it was, yeah. He went on. Uh, it was Jeremy Tsai, I think his last name is, and he went undefeated in Swiss playing your deck. Congrats to Jeremy eight, for, eight, for going undefeated oh, at Battle Harden. That's the big right, seven, seven one, but uh, first seed. First seed, sure, sure, sure. Okay, almost, almost. Wow. And in that case, I take back my congratulations, Jeremy. It should have been eight nine. Jeez. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Uh, anything else to add, Brennan? Um. Oh gosh, I guess I'll commit. Uh, there's going to be a Vis deck tech. It is going to be released on the weekend, um, uh, probably during the, sometime during the, the Colin Croc round about the Viscerai deck. Um, yeah. so the deck you played uh, at the Battle Harden, right? Yep, the deck I played at the Battle Harden. Talk about some of the choices I made. Most of it is somewhat standard. There are a few cheeky cards, <laughs> which you'll probably see on display at the calling as well this weekend. But yeah, we'll get that. We'll try to get out, that up this weekend, but published during the tournament. Um, and yeah. Get uh, so we have Viserai, Dash, and Reiner all covered, which I think are some of the top decks in the format. I maybe old him, and of course Hayden's favorite Kasai. Um, man, I can't get him off that hero. <laughs> and <laughs> so finally, I want to say you know big thank you from Hayden and I to all of the Arsenal Pass patrons. Again, what you do um, and how you support us does you know, help the pod incredibly. So we are thankful. If you are interested in the Arsenal Pass Patreon, we do have extra content there, including extra podcasts deck techs deck guides as well as some kind of cheeky things every now and then hayden and i doing uh sort of in the booth coverage of matches that i lose on camera which there are <laughs> a plethora to choose from <laughs> we're actually thinking about a new segment but we haven't committed to it yet uh that will be sort of more hayden and i breaking down things with like full information um and just trying to give people like level ups but we gotta we we, we need to figure out how we're going to execute it um but I'm excited. I'm excited for that part. And I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna be awesome. I think I like it. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, we're in the logistics phase. Mm. All right, Brendan. Last week on the pod, we did say we've got our sort of four thousand sub giveaway again. A big thank you to everyone who got us to that that landmark. Um, we have a box of first to give away. I said drop a comment on a historical figure you think would like or enjoy the Arsenal Pass podcast, and it was some hilarious responses. Uh, I think none better than uh, Old Man Ten and Grace. Uh, would enjoy the podcast. I know you like best. that one a lot. Yeah. I have a story to tell you after you finish talking. All right, all right. No, tell us where you go. 
<laughs> so I was at the I was at the calling or sorry, I was at the Battle Harden this weekend and I met um this girl, Elaine, and she was from Baton Rouge, which happens to be where Tana Grace is from. So we finished our match and I said, Hey, by the way, there's um there's a guy that that lives in your area. I think he might play as well. He's kinda kind of old. I mean actually he's really old. Um ancient, actually. And she was like, Oh, Tannen? And I was like, Exactly. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. There was no prep to that talk. We didn't talk about Tan and none of that. That was literally how I was just saying that. And she interjected. was like, oh, yeah, Tan and Grace. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shout out to calling uh, commentator and, and coverage extraordinaire Tan and Grace. Old man. And then, yeah, Elaine was one of our finalists last week in our golden ticket giveaway. Yep. Box winner. Yep. Who won the box? Well, I went through the comments. Uh, they're all pretty. To be honest, there's quite a lot of funny ones and some good ones. So I just randomly went down, picked one out. And uh, this is going to the Ovlov one. While maybe not technically a historical figure, I'm sure Cosmo Kramer would love your podcast, as he sure is an ass man. <laughs> That's a good one. And, you know, big Kramer fan. So uh, congratulations. That box is coming to you. Just uh, send us an email at fab. Oh, wait, that's not the email. At arsenalpassfab at gmail.com and uh, send us your details and we'll get the box out to you. Congratulations. Brendan. Fabtcg.com. All right, <laughs> <Yeah>. Hayden. <laughs> um, well, it is a bit rainy out here today, so I don't think it's very nice for a barbecue, but we can always throw something on the skillet, settle it up, and I can you know, make you a nice dinner, rub your feet a little bit. But before that, you got to take me into the command and cookout section. I've never seen you cook. You've also never seen me rub your feet, so sure. <laughs> uh, This week's question comes from uh, Jabril Campbell on YouTube. He says, I like to play aggro decks, but I tend to find myself in situations where I'm so low on life and my opponent is doing really well in my life. My opponent blocks out for the most part throughout the game while I'm not blocking and using all my cards to apply pressure. In the late game, what usually happens is my opponent has one really big turn. And I end up having to block to stay alive, which messes up my next turn. After that, I just can't seem to come back and end up losing. You always hear the saying, your life is a resource, but I'm starting to think that maybe that's not quite so true in Fish and Butter List, and you should be blocking a lot more. But in order for my aggro deck to have the most damage output, I feel like it doesn't make sense to defend. I'm guessing as well, Jabril means, you know, there's a lot of defend two cards, things like this, cards that don't defend. I feel like I'm missing something here. Could you guys talk about a bit about how you make a decision to defend with a card or attack with a card? Uh, however, speaking from today's standpoint, how would you go about introducing Flesh and Blood to a new player? Well, let's, let's tackle the first part, right? Yeah, I, I mean, think it's dense. We right? talked a lot like, about. Uh, actually, I think that last part of the question is actually from Jabrio. I think that's from last week's question. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think the question is, uh, how do you make a decision to defend or attack with the sure. card? Yeah, so it's actually a really dense question because there is like the basic concept of winning turn cycles um, and kind of getting value there, but there's also more macro-oriented things and sort of your game plan, right? You're potentially you're playing towards a certain a specific set of cards, right? Like you do want to play your Steel Blade Supremacy out of Arsenal and have a five-card hand to play Dorinthia, and that's really how you swing the game. Playing your four-card hand is just going to you know, maybe push nine damage every turn. Your opponent can block it, swing a weapon at you, and ultimately just lose that game. So there's like these, like I said, there's a macro way of approaching it that's really important, understanding how your deck is going to win the game, what cards, you know, not all cards are replacement level, right? So you got to figure out what to block with and what you're, what you're waiting on how, um, and what does the most damage. But ultimately, you know, if you if we're talking about blocking, just blocking versus attacking in a vacuum, there is, you know, there is the concept of a turn cycle. So, Hayden, I know you're a big fan of turn cycles and you're a big fan of winning them. Um, particularly, this is very important and limited. But why don't you why don't you break that down for us? 
I mean, winning a turn cycle. I mean, it basically, because this is comes back to the hardest question that Jabril asks, basically what it is is damage in versus damage out, right? It's like kind of like yeah. calories in versus calories out. Winning a turn cycle is about, at its very base value is deal more damage than you take or output, at least output more damage than you are taking. So if you have a hand that's four cards and defends for 12 because every card defends for three, but then you have the combination of those those four cards can output 15 damage. Um, you know, at a base level to win that turn cycle from an output perspective, you, you wouldn't want to defend. Mm. But then there's so many other things that come into that, which is what Brennan's mm. alluding to with this kind of meaty question, you know, is like yes. outside of that, there's like, okay, do my, does my opponent have on hit effects? Does, uh, you know, am I on such a, am I on a life threshold that if I go below X life, am I now going to be in danger of just losing the game to my opponent's next turn? Um, you know, it does my output of 15 damage actually, is it kind of, is it really easy to defend out? Or is it really difficult to defend out? Maybe I have 11 damage versus 12 in, but the 11 damage is like on hit effects and it's really difficult to defend because it's an awkward break point. So there's so many different things. But what I was going to say, Brendan, just from like a trying to simplify it a little bit, trying to decide when to defend or to use a card offensively. I think one of the, like obviously you talk about turn cycle, but one of the first things is just to look and just go, what is my overall game plan? Jabril talks about being aggressive and wanting to be aggressive. It doesn't necessarily mean that you never defend, right? I think it's about trying to pick your spots. And I think I'm just reading between the lines in this question that Jabril's asking, but I think mm. what Jabril is maybe struggling with is working out and identifying the turns where they need to be aggressive. What yeah. do those turns look like? Not every turn is created equal. Some turns your output is going to be a lot less. And those are the turns where you probably want to defend more throw cards because the output you have is much less efficient. Yeah, then that's what I was going to point back to because it is a very dense subject. It's quite nuanced, right? What deck you're playing, what your opponent playing. And there's also external factors outside of the game. How is your opponent posturing, right? Like, you know, they might show you that they have the nuts. And if it's in Blitz and you're on Vista, you're like, well, I got to kill him. Uh, so you have to go over some higher variance plays. But my question was going to be on how you opened, which is you're on low life, your opponent is on high life, and you're trying to manage your life you know, throughout the game. I would say as an aggro deck, my first question would be, maybe you need a different aggro deck <laughs> because you should be pressuring your opponent's life total. But what it probably is about is playing the five-card hands, right? Playing, playing the relevant hands. Uh, if we talk about a card like Plunder Run, right? That's a card that you would set up. You'd play it in Arsenal. And then when you play it out of Arsenal, it does have a great effect on that during that turn cycle and on that combat chain you play it, presenting on it triggers on every attack that you play, right? So it's playing around things like that. Uh, the damage that you can do is sort of mini setup turns, where you do place a critical card in Arsenal, uh, you're going to push more damage than your opponent can likely block with their hand. Maybe they throw armor and maybe even go over the top of that. And that's really, you know, you're playing for those pockets, right? Um, it's, not just, it's not just like a kind of a linear equation where you just play out your four-card hand, you know, because their, their decks are sometimes, uh, sometimes built to add value, right? Outvalue you. They're built to block for nine, swing for four, block for nine, swing for four, and they just win that, win that race on, the, on a sort of mathematical level. I think that's kind of that's that's it really right like it's basic math is like the first level of flesh and blood in terms of just out versus in which is you know how you grow that in the five cut hands is what you can is break breaks that cycle right like these five cut hands that over and above the average damage break those sort of gameplay patterns i think my advice would be because it's really hard to know exactly maybe where the challenge is for you at a macro level there's because you can go macro about like play by play or you can go macro which is like you know the game plan you're looking at and i think that's one of the best places to first start looking at when you're thinking about how do i 
defend or how do I use cards offensively? And that is try to find out like where you're where you're leaking the damage, where you're losing these games. Because it's not just going to be, you know, it, it, it's not going to be like on when one particular small player. It's probably going to be on bigger sort of sets of plays. So I would start by looking at each of the turn cycles you're playing and say, okay, well, how much damage am I going to be doing here versus how much am I taking? Am I setting up the right turns to be able to do this? No matter what in the current state of Flesh and Blood, you need to be able to find turns that have spike potential, have big damage potential. If you're just doing average damage every turn, you're going to really struggle to win games in this format, especially if you're not trading cards efficiently. So one of the first things I would say, just based on this question to look at, is go back, take a step back and say, like, where are my big turns? What do my big turns look like? And start trying to play a little bit more to those turns if you can, Jabril. Like, start trying to set up some of these five-card hands rather than just trying to throw damage every single turn. Um, play hand to hand try and start to think about okay what are like the key cards i could arsenal and look for and just try to find one or two five card hands every game and then think about that turn cycle math that me and brenda both talked about you know where you're losing turn cycles probably just try and try and trade those a little bit more if you can use some of those cards you want to protect your life to some degree even if it means that you are still leaking some damage you still need to protect your life when you have bad turns right yeah i mean even if you're the aggro deck it, it is still about Often it's going to be a value-oriented game, right? So if you do find a pocket where you can't utilize your entire hand, you do have some cards that block very well that turn, um, or your opponent presents an auto trigger that is going to deal a lot of damage to you, it might be better to defend, right? You know, particularly someone Aether flares you, you have the blue to pitch for it, be like, wow, my turn is so much better if I just have this blue. But you know that there's potentially something coming after it? Yeah, maybe you should block that turn, right? Uh, you just got to pick your spots. I think that that's like... That's the heuristic. <laughs> sort of, if you're as, as the aggro deck, you're playing your five card hands and you're picking your spots. Not every turn um, is kind of equivalent. Do you know what the, I think the base problem is? Is that I think when we talk about flesh and blood, aggro is such a misnomer. Like, it's not traditional archetypes like it is in other games. And that's why I think it's tough as well. Is that being a quote unquote aggro deck in this game is very different to other games. It doesn't mean that every turn you're just offense, 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 because the game is about give and take, it's about push and pull, it's about using your life as a resource like Jabril talks about. So I think uh, the kind of like the archetypes that we try and force things into don't quite fit. Uh, like I would call, I like to, well, I try to, I like to, I try to talk about things more as proactive and more as about uh, being on the front foot and is about trying to set up turns or is it about trying to pressure each turn like more so than being necessarily a quote unquote aggro deck because you could say that Dorinthia is an aggro deck and you could say that like Katsu is an aggro deck. You could even say that like, Bravo Star of the Show is an aggro deck. Some people might say, but like these decks are all actually proactive. It, it just really depends on like what flavor you're trying to set up and what your cards are trying to do hand to hand and what things you're specifically trying to do with each of your four and five card hands. Yeah. My favorite archetype is the money deck. Um, currently in the form of Viscerai, where I just draw my Majestics, pop my Majestic weapon, and deal your entire life total. <laughs> just equipment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Jabril, thank you for the question. Very big question. Uh, I hope we've at least helped in some way to answer part of that if you do want to get a question of the commander cookout you can get that in whatever way you want email arsenalpassfab at gmail.com drop a comment in youtube like jabril didn't let us know it's for the commander cookout tweet at us dm us uh discord server whatever you want to do all right brendan because we're so nimble and adapt uh, and we said this at the top of the show that we've re-recorded in the future that we're not doing a main topic this week but to end the show brendan what i did want to sort of talk about is just reflect a little bit on the last couple of weeks of Flesh and Blood. We've just had the Fab 2.0 announcement, which we've discussed. We've just had a ban-restricted announcement last week, which left us feeling very differently to how we probably feel this week after Fab 2.0. And we're about to hit the PT in just a few weeks. So 
my question to you, Brendan, is how are you feeling about the state of flesh and blood and the future of this game that we we genuinely love? Like, how are you how are you feeling now? For sure, <laughs> might be going. I might go a little bit too deep, but I want to be as honest as possible. So, um, obviously, we 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 definitely aired our thoughts last week on on the banner restricted announcement, and I think you could probably deduce that we're we're not the biggest fans of it. That being said, <laughs> that being said, I do think that Hayden and I and a lot of the rest of the player base can sort of roll with the punches, learn a lesson, um, and still focus on the rest of Flesh and Blood, which is, for the most part, overwhelmingly good. <laughs> um, I mean, like I sort of mentioned during Fab 2.0 when we were talking about it, where we've come in Flesh and Blood, based on where we were about a year ago, is unbelievable, right? It, it, it's absolutely incredible, the, especially the, the, professional, <clears throat> the pro- professional circuit and the competitive sort of co- Grand Prix callings, like tournaments whatever you want to call them that we got like that was a huge achievement and like i think we're absolutely taking steps in the right direction um and fab 2.0 does resonate with a you know the rest of that equation right some of the stuff that was left out which is the casual player base you know things like upf things like card availability um, things like pve and of course this product issue um that i you know like i said i didn't experience personally but i definitely heard about it right and i knew there was unlimited that was kind of just sitting around um so ultimately it's good like i'm happy right like i think this is it's a good look um it shows that they're they're listening like they're they're, you know they care and that they're not completely out of touch right um and that's good like that that makes me feel very confident the one thing that i am concerned about though (laughs) and not to get back to like you know saying negative things but i am concerned about the scalability of legend story studios with the game just from some of the announcements we've seen, and I know this is we're coming off of the biggest negative announcement ever, but I have seen some some hiccups right throughout the past year that have looked like a, the game's grown quite a bit, right? And maybe the studio hasn't grown to support um, what the game has become. And I do think that if that is the issue, it will only get worse, right? And I just hope that uh, Flesh and Blood can support the popularity that I believe it deserves, right? Because I think it's a fantastic game. Um, and I think it can be one of the most popular tabletop games in the world, if it, not, if, not, if it is not already. So, yeah, my main concerns are about scalability. I believe when I look at Flesh and Blood, it, it's like a work of art. I look at these cards, like the system, and I know we've had some cards. It's just so perfect, right? The equation that all these cards are developed on, like everything looks like it was built, from, built for scale. A lot of templating, just... They executed it. They executed these first few sets super well in it. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really kind of good for the future of the company and my my outlook on that. But um, as we're sort of in this middle stage and I think on the precipice of something much bigger, I do hope that the internal operations company can handle that at a international scale, which is I believe where we're going. Yeah, it's like a question of is it a teething issue or is it a sign of you know things to come and hopefully it's just a teething issue and Alistair can take on these I think the good thing so far is they haven't made quite the same mistake twice <laughs> um although you know Bravo and, and Dawnblade there's some questions but so I think for me reflecting as well uh similar to what you've you've just done Brendan is that I feel really positive coming off of the announcement of Fab 2.0 I think to me it's really clear that James White's vision of this game is 
so grand and it's so huge and it's so fleshed out. He has a really un a good understanding of where he wants to go, where he wants this game to go, and where what he wants for the players, uh, what he wants it to look like, and that's I think really really clear. I think for me it comes down to a couple of things from like I basically I just echo a lot of things you just said, but from the thing that I think I want to see next is it's more about structural things. It's more about mm -hmm. the probably LSS now looking internally a little bit. Yeah. reflecting a bit about some of the maybe the teams they have because it seems like it's it's coming down to just a couple of small things that aren't quite lining up you know some of these announcements you go that doesn't quite make sense with what we've just seen is the eyes on this the way it should be is the process in there that it should be whether it be like the yeah. testing process the, the sort of you know the the quality control process effectively of of these sets um to make sure that in down to the finest detail for the competitive play for instance and, and even for you know for just play in general that they're getting the balance right these are things that I think can be worked on and fixed, but they need to be really critical of themselves. I think the overall, the, the macro, the, the grand scheme, the big picture feels awesome. Like this game is great. Like you said, the system is amazing. Uh, the way it plays is you show this to a player, you show this to someone, hey, come check out this game, play one or two games. How many people have you heard go, oh, nah, isn't for me? How many people have you heard on the flip side that go, wow, like I'm so into this game. Like it happens like this. It happens so quickly because it's such at a fundamental level the game just works and the system is so awesome quite a beautiful design but to get to the next three four five years that we want to get to some of these things that could undo it are at like an internal level i think with with legend story studios and and to be blunt i think those are some things that need to be looked at but yeah this week i'm feeling infinitely better than i was last week about the game um i actually didn't feel as down about it as i know a lot of people did with the announcement but i was frustrated with yeah. the announcement uh, for sure but I'm excited for the Pro Tour. It's coming up. We're going to see some changes. Something's going to happen on May 2nd. I'm, I'm, I feel very confident that something's going to happen, to be honest, at this point, uh, whether that be Davo's already reached Living Legend status or, or some other change. Uh, we're going to have the first Pro Tour, and then we're just going to roll through the rest of the year and have a really awesome time. Um, initially, we were going to talk about just the, the, the shape of Limited and what Limited was going to look like moving forward. That's a little bit of a, like, a concern I have. I really want Limited to be a part of this game, and I think James White does as well. So I think um, we're going to talk more about that, probably if not on next week's pod, then in a future pod about what we feel about the limited gameplay. But yeah, Brendan, overall, I um, I feel good. I feel feel confident. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just in the same position where you were like, just kind of like deeply listening to what you say and like resonating on it. Because I do echo a lot of that. Um, such an interesting point for a company like Legend Story Studios. Um, this sort of mid-scale up to going big, right? Going mm -hmm. international, just being like the total phenom. And it, it, we are there to an extent, right? Um, at least in somewhat in popularity, but just everything that goes behind that, when you start having to design sets that haven't been designed, you know, six years ago, um, like the team that supports the biggest card game in the world has to be rock solid and they have to have enough people, right? Like Flesh and Blood is growing at an alarming rate. I think they already did one of the most incredible things that I've ever seen a company do, which is Flesh and Blood basically released in COVID, and they navigated that and succeeded, which was really, really impressive for a game that's played in the flesh and blood. So I think we've seen resilience out of the team, sort of be scrappy, think on their feet. Uh, I just hope that they're able to expand and find the right talent that can support you know, something as big as Magic the Gathering, or something like that. Um, I think this is a critical point, right? It's, it's funny because <laughs> it's like one of those... Uh, it's, 
it's like the less it's not really in the limelight right like the point we're at it's it's not that it's not that it's not that sexy or anything not like you know COVID hitting right when your game starts like oh can they get this done this is like the very strict mathematical and like logistical question of can you go from being a medium-sized company to a large-sized company that manages tons of people you know international product and all of that at scale and do it consistently while you're still developing you know it's fundamentally very creative, which is the game of flesh and blood. And uh, yeah, I think we're going to have to ask, we're going to have to answer that question over the next one to two years, which is going to be interesting. Yep. No, I completely agree. I think it's uh, on LSS to answer that question now, though, for themselves and, and be ahead of that. That's it, Brennan. As you say, Fab 2.0, ban restricted announcement, another ban restricted announcement coming on the second, or sorry, ban and suspended announcement now, and uh, Pro Tour 1 happening followed by ProQuest season two lots gonna be happening in the next few months we're gonna be flying by the seat of our pants i'm excited to see where we go next before we wrap up the pod brendan i reckon you've got a review for us yeah speaking of flying by the pants of our seat we got a pants of our seat (laughs) got a hilarious review here from uh jack mcdowell 20 jack mcdowell 23 he gives a five-star rating sorry i had to reread that name a few times just in case it was like a you know, a trick, and I was going to say something bad. Um, so Jack McDowell, 23, says, Arsenal Pass is the titular source of everything Flesh and Blood related. Um, they have the charm and banter of an elderly couple uh, sunsetting into their golden years together with meta-defining decks in hand. The Australian Nationals winning Hayden Dale wealth spring of knowledge about the game while his charismatic other super sane-looking guy keeps Hayden's Icarus-level ego from flying too close to the sun it keeps the podcast grounded firmly. Me keeping the podcast grounded. That's interesting. Don't pass up on this chance to gain new perspectives on this wonderful game and maybe learn that the true, that the true goal of Flesh and Blood is not about winning, winning, sorry, winning worlds or callings, but instead about the friends and rivals we make along the way. <laughs> well, I like that. I like that I've assumed the grounded. He does get a little wild on these podcasts, sometimes goes off topic, but you know, I'm doing God's work out here. <laughs> That that was a funny one. I like that. That was really well written. Um, so yeah, if you wanna if you wanna get featured on the Arsenal Pass podcast through a review, um, recommend. Uh, so we have something called Rate My Podcast. So if you go to rate sorry rate this dot com slash Arsenal Pass, it'll give you all the links you need to shoot us a review on whatever platform you want. Um, the funny ones definitely do take precedence <laughs> in getting featured. If you slap a five star, it does help. I'm not gonna lie. But uh, yeah, this is this is a perfect example of the com- of the review I like to see. That was hilarious. I like sunsetting into my gold, building my uh, my chain deck with you. You know, <laughs> talking about back in the day, people thought that fatigue could beat this deck. <laughs> people thought it wasn't broken. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. Thank you for the review. Uh, I've interesting take. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Chris, <laughs> hey, Chris, lovely ego. All right, before we sign off, just want to plug the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel. Just let you know that we do have a lot of uh, gameplay, deck techs. Uh, we've done some skirmish, blitz deck techs this season already, and Brendan's doing another one this weekend. Twitter, Brendan and I are both on Twitter. I'm at Fian Dale or Fian underscore Dale. Brendan is at Brendan APG. Come check us out for all things flesh and blood. We post deck lists, sort of our thoughts. Brendan posts all sorts of random stuff on there, so you can go see that. Uh, <laughs> you can interact with us. Fire us a message, whatever you want to do. Patreon, big massive thank you to all of our patrons. Do have a, a Patreon community Discord, which is one of my favorite places to hang out and, and um, <laughs> see hot takes. And uh, as well, if you're looking for extra content, you know, bonus podcasts, we do like video reviews, gameplay reviews. 
we throw up dick kicks during the seasons as well dick guides whenever we do a dick tick on arsenal pass uh, for less constructive we'll always throw up like a, a dick guide as well cyborg guide etc up there as well and yeah just want to say a big thank you last week we hit 4,000 subscribers and did our one year podcast and this week uh, we're talking about fab 2.0 so it's been an awesome couple of weeks but until next time brendan hear you in the next one ah uh.